Zampelli found some space, took the mark, loaded up. Oh, the bottom strikes early. Garcia marks, plays on. Can he finish? Smith, the dogs have got all the flow. This will bring the house down. If Bailey Smith knows it and lets the crowd know. Now balls to English on the run. The Ruckman, a long ball, a glorious ball. Slid the handball in to Lork and straighten onto his right. He's got time, he's got space, and he's kicked up beauty. Now Jamari Gilhagen kicks it wrong. It's a got a lot of carry. That's something extraordinary. It's five for the night, and the dogs are home. Welcome to the Salty Bulldog, the podcast with two very, very tired hosts, but for two very, very different reasons. My name is Matthew Donald, the creator, I suppose, of the Salty Bulldog, the, the one who started it all, all those years ago, one of the hosts at least, and I'm joined, of course, by... Uh, the man that I was so desperate to have on the Salty Bulldog all those years ago and has been willing to stick by me ever since, Nick Galea, who's still on the other side of the world. Nick, how is it over there at the moment? Uh, hello, Matthew. Hello, everyone. <laughs> As you said it uh, just then, it is a it is very tiring for, for both of us, I think. Uh, you're doing the hard yards in the early hours of the morning and uh, I'm at the other end of the spectrum on the uh, late hours of the night, so... Uh, a wonderful time, of course, though, and uh, just enjoying the wonderful world of Harry Potter. So that was good fun today. Just demonstrates um, what is the, it? the lengths that we're going to. Yes, indeed. Yes, we're trying to cram it all in, and uh, I'm sure we'll have some similar fun in a month's time. So <laughs> uh, we'll get through it, though. Um, yes, no, it's a bit of a. Did, did you get to. Because I couldn't watch the game, clearly. Did you get to watch any of the game? Yes, I did. I watched the okay. watched the game. I was just going to say, while you're at Harry Potter, well, you didn't you didn't come across a spell that can uh, whip up a, a consistent game plan for us, did you? By any chance that that would come in handy? No, no, I couldn't understand most of the stuff that was there. No, it was, it was wonderful though to be there, to be honest. But uh, um, I was only able to listen to our particular match, but not for large chunks of it, as I was at the second day of the Ashes Test match, which unfortunately, of course, we've uh, we fell short in. At Headingley, but um, so you had the radio on, and of course I was listening to SEN there. So having a bit of a having a bit of a you know a dwell into a, into what was being said, they're getting some good insights, and oh, we're going to have a a world of fun, I reckon, trying to uh, you know deconstruct this particular contest. You with the vision, and me with the audio, effectively. Yeah, Sammy Hargraves and Matt Hill, I think we're calling on on SEN, a good combination. From the good commentators, so they, you would have been able to pick up a bit from what they had to say, I'm sure, Nick. So let's get into this contest that took place last Friday night between the Bulldogs and the Pies. It was built up as being probably one of the one of the biggest home and away games the Dogs have played in recent seasons. Fell 12 points short, 13-11-89 Collingwood, the Bulldogs 11-11-77 in front of 43,000 at Marvel Stadium. So well short of the 50,000 that we had hoped for. Caleb Daniel with, oh, hang on, no, I'll do the goals first because the goals were actually quite interesting, I thought. Aaron Norton and Cody Waitman with four goals each. Jamari Uvalhagen with two. Caleb Poulter with one. That's it. Just the four individual goal scorers over the course of the night, three of them forwards. It'd be, be pretty pretty low for us on in comparison across probably the course of the season, isn't it, to only have that few uh, amount of goal kickers, isn't it? It's probably the, probably the fewest number of goal kickers we've had since... Lucas Webb kicked half of our goals against Adelaide all those years ago. Oh, yeah. He tied, tied with Matt Suckling, of course, in that game. That was just wonderful, wasn't it? Caleb Daniel with 32 disposals. Bonzer Pelly with 29. Libertore 28. 
Trelaw with 26, Dale 25 along with Jack McRae. And uh, that's it in terms of the leading disposal getters. And in terms of the coaches' votes, I've got those here. Jamara Eaglehagen picked up five coaches' votes. Aaron Norton with three. And Marcus Bontempelli with one. And Bontempelli still in the top ten of the coaches' votes. It's it's worth adding. Um, but I think we could just about rule him out for any sort of major awards this year in terms of league-wide stuff. I think we were able to rule him out of the Brownlow about a month ago as well. And he's well back in the coaches' association votes now. Which is a bit disappointing, but that's the way it goes sometimes. Nick, just from listening to the contest, I'll uh, give you the new ball, as it were, given you were watching the cricket. What did you What did you make of, of everything that unfolded before your ears? It's very, very tricky, to be honest, because there are times where I've had to take it in and think through whether we're either just a bit outclassed or whether we just weren't up to it, which... It's a bit of it's a bit of both. There were times where I thought, from what at least I could listen to, that what I can I can still say this actually. We are a good team, I think. I think at this point in time, I'm not saying this is a flag side, but we're a, we're a pretty decent side, I reckon. And we were able to go toe to toe for large chunks of the game. Unfortunately, we weren't able not because of the usual stuff, but unfortunately, we weren't probably able to kick. Say, you know four goals in a burst. It was usually two or three at best at, at those time frames. You know, I must say I um, I was having flashbacks to the Gold Coast match when Norton had a chance to put us four goals up and he missed. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, great, here we go. Um, would have been nice to have been four goals up against the against the Pies early on to put the, you know, put the pressure right upon them, um, especially as they hadn't got their game going. And I was pretty pleased with how the first turn, you know, turned out, I reckon. It was different periods of dominance from us in the first um, half of that quarter, and then the Pies were able to get the ascendancy back there. But, you know, we were only able to concede generally just the, the one goal, despite their inaccurate kicking. But, you know, you were still only copped the one goal there. Um, second term, again, probably wasn't able to listen to it as much, uh, unfortunately. But um, I could see that we probably had a chance, again, to stretch our lead out beyond um, beyond three kicks with the, with Jamara and, and McNeil's uh, behinds there. And then it just seemed to be those moments again towards the back end or as we like to call of course red time um in the second quarter where uh, was it jamie elliott kicked a double did he yep and uh just turned a handy seven point lead into a very frustrating five points uh margin in our favor um considering i thought we played actually from what i heard anyways and what i could observe and read from reports and, and other bits of statistical information that uh, we'd actually played all right but fallen short in where we arguably could have been in terms of the margin. That doesn't mean we should have been, you know, hammering them to the tune of six or seven goals, but we were probably at least, again, a couple goals short in that side uh, going into half time. Third quarter, and again, you've got some numbers to, to display a little bit later mm -hmm. um, for certain time frames, but, oh, geez, that third quarter, uh, that was that was a uh, Collingwood up in the ante in that department, didn't they? And uh, it's not that I didn't think we again, played poorly in that respective term. It just showed that we just weren't able to go with them. Now, people might take that in two ways. Uh, sorry, one of two ways, where it says that we aren't up to it and we can't cut, you know, cut the mustard in that sense. Or on another end of the spectrum, it said the Pies had to hit relative overdrive to, you know, take the, the game away from us in that sense. You know, they had to, you know, pull out a couple of gears, I think, to... To, to do what they could have done in that uh, third quarter because the game was still 
in the balance, uh, probably maybe two-thirds of the way through that uh, third quarter before the Pies unfortunately slammed uh, three goals at the back end uh, once again in red time. So it's a bit of a, it's a, bit of a different um, question because this season, bar the first two matches, there's only been really one disappointing loss uh, to an extent, you know, where you could actually say this is something that should never have happened in that context, and that would have been the Geelong game. But uh, we've been in every other match since, and I know that the margin sort of um, blew out a bit towards the, the early stages of the uh, fourth quarter, but I think it might have been, yeah, it might have been that the, the Pies have got the, you know, their mojo on the roll, and we just weren't able to technically um, string a couple of goals together, unfortunately, to to wrestle back the momentum. But I do think the margin at times, dependence, you know, so it depends on the mood that I'm in. I think it was probably more reflective to the 12 points than the six-goal margin that it would have been. That doesn't mean it should have been a 12-point win. I think probably a four-goal deficit might have been a bit more um, a bit more balanced. But, um, yeah, still a bit to go, you know. The, the, the game had gone on a bit longer, not that it would have, but if the game had gone on an extra, you know, two, three or so minutes, maybe four minutes, um, who knows, we might have potentially pinched it uh, or we might have copped another goal or two and uh, that's all she wrote once mm. again. I don't. I still think there, there is enough to take out of this performance off the back of, again, it takes a good side to play the way they did to get the job done. We've seen Port against us twice where they've had to play pretty good football and pretty slick football to, to get the job done. Um, but it's... It is annoying to see that this, again, was an opportunity. That doesn't mean, look, I think going into the game, we thought we were a chance to win. That doesn't necessarily mean we were, but um, it's just another opportunity gone begging in terms of showing that we're you know, above the chasing pack in that sense. I think in this respective season where we sit is reflective at this point in time. What are we, sixth or something? Something like that. Um, we definitely are, I reckon, um, the fifth or sixth best side, no doubt, at this point in time. And we do have the capacity to go further. And I think performances like, um, oh, what was it? Yeah, the correct, because the days are slightly different. What day was it? Was that a Saturday? Was it? I don't it was even a know. Friday. Oh, it was a Friday night. It was a yeah, Friday, Friday night. night. Yeah, my days are completely, my days are completely Can't Friday, mate. Um, oh, it's just, it's absurd. But yeah, it was a Friday night game. And I'm thinking, it was Friday morning for me. Oh, I'm thinking, look, we play that level of football and there is a lot to take from it. I reckon we got to see, again, some um, individual brilliance from select footballers, such as Jamara. You know, got to see Bateman play. You know, good good style of footy there. Maybe, unfortunately, probably need to focus a bit more on the defensive side of things, which um, saw Isaac Quainor, I'd arguably say he probably will, he probably, I think he should at least get um, two Brownlow votes against us for, that, for his performance there and that's where um, Waitman needed to make his opponent a, a bit more accountable. Um, you know, four goals is fantastic but I'm talking ground level stuff or, or at least competing in the air a bit more where I think Quainor was able to take 10 or so marks and it's that is a bit frustrating because it's it's sort of the ideal like game that we used to get from uh, in the past from Eastern Wood where they'd be able to peel off their man and intercept at will or you know, come across third man up and, and all that type of stuff. Um, it was nice to see Aaron Norton, of course, too. Get, get, get a good get a good haul of goals against a you know a decent defensive unit in that side of things too. You know, Darcy Moore and Nathan Murphy and being able to see 
the forward line chemistry. I said, I didn't watch. I'm only going for what I've heard and, again, what I've read. But the forward line chemistry supposedly between uh, that particular trio up front um, would have been quite fun to watch, especially with the way that they were probably providing those leading patterns and creating space for each other as well as, you know, providing those, um, how do I say, those defensive blocks in space to prevent the opposition defender from, you know, intercepting or coming off to, to kill the contest. You know, we've got to see for one of Jamara's goals, I think he doubled up and doubled back and then doubled forward again to to take more off uh, or to throw him off more so that particular trail. So that's, you know, that's forward craft right there, which mm-hmm. is which is wonderful to see. It's, yeah, unfortunately, 12 points uh, two, or 13 points technically if we want to go win by a point too short. And it seems to be any time that there's a, a relative big game against the Pies, um, excluding the 06 elimination final, you know, like 1990 or 1994 or, uh, you know, the Terry Wallace spew-up game, um, 2009, 2010. Um, oh, well, not any time that there's been some sort of spirited comeback, uh, we've fallen short at the final hurdle. Well, Nick, you mentioned the Ice spew-up game, and that's the one that's been running around in my head the, the past few days. You, you mentioned a lot of points that, uh, that I wanted to to unpack and or challenge the 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 up game is one that's that's come to mind a number of times for me the past few days because a lot of bulldog supporters have looked at the performance and said well we were what we were about six goals down at one stage and we came back and we got within 12 points and and a lot of people said oh you know we've we've challenged a top we've challenged a a top two side you know probably the the premiership favorite this season we've come back and we haven't just rolled over and we've got within 12 points and we've pushed them all the way and they nearly won. And that's great. And it's a great effort. But my question, and perhaps it's a bit cynical, but who cares? Because we still lost the game. Now, you said that there's enough to – you said that what we saw was enough to show that we, we can, you know, uh, yes, we, we, just, are, we are good enough against the, the best sides. But I would yeah. argue that this result proves that we're not. Because we've seen – Correct, which so, I will, I'll we, accept that too. We, I'll accept that it, too. We've seen it so many times this season that – that there's always something that has to happen that prevents us mm. from being able to knock over these sites. We're yet to, I mean, aside from aside from Brisbane, we're yet to beat a, a serious contender. In fact, I think we get to beat it. Brisbane, the only top eight side that we've beaten this season, and we've played all. Mm. And, and that was off a that was off a motion, I yeah, think, and, more so than great style of play, to be honest. And we've played all of them now, except Essen, and some of them we've we've even played twice. And you know, there's there's a couple that we're I think we still still got to play Geelong again down in Geelong, so you can you can probably mark that one down as a, as a loss given our history down there. the 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 reason the Aspie up one comes into it is, and for, for those who you know who would need a bit more context regarding that one, it was also against Collingwood in in 1996, and the Pies blew us out of the water in the first quarter. It was nine goals to two or something like that. So eight goals down at quarter time. And then we spend the next three quarters slowly chipping away at, at the deficit and eating into Collingwood's lead. And in the end, we work our way back and to into the game and we just fall short. We lose by, I think, I think Collingwood beat us by six points that day. So we've gone from an eight-goal deficit to losing by a goal. And the whole point of the, the old spew-up ones, what Wallace didn't want to see was Bulldog players getting a pat on the back for, for a great job. And for a great effort, because the the last three quarters meant absolutely nothing in the end, because they lost Indeed. the game. All the work was 
Um, all the effort was undone in the first quarter when they conceded nine goals to, to one or whatever it was, give up an eight-goal lead at a quarter time. And that's that's what I tend to go with as well. People say, oh, the Dogs did well to fight back and get within two, two goals. But who cares? That doesn't really mean anything. That You don't, you don't get anything for that. I mean, all that, all that effort. No, no, it is interesting. All that effort in the... In the first quarter, or the, at least the, the first quarter and a half, and then the last quarter, is undone by the chaos that ensued in between. I mean, not, not, that all it, it's all undone by by what we see in the last part of the second term and, and the entirety of the third term. And it's not a bad segue into those sort of numbers that I wanted to, to get into with you. So we lost by 12 points, reasonably close margin. From the 12th minute mark of the second term to the 7th minute mark of the last term, so we're talking almost an hour of football. It's almost half the game. Collingwood outscored us 12 goals 4 to 2 goals 3. So that's, mm. that's 10 goals within 60 minutes of football that Collingwood have outscored us by, yet they beat us by 12 points only. So there's a couple of ways you can look at it. You can say that you know the Dogs did well despite that that huge chasm you know where Collingwood outscores by 10 goals across a, a half of football effectively they they still only managed to beat us by 12 points but I tend to go the other way and I say well look it I mean they played that well and it took that sort of run to beat us but this sort of this run isn't anything new I just think it's not so like, no, that's even, even, if, even if that run that 12 goals to two that glut is horrific. Even if it was only half as bad as that, even if it was only seven goals, five goals to two, or, or seven goals to two, or even nine goals to two, we beat Collingwood. Like a nine goal to two run is, is awful, and yet that still would have been enough for us to get the job done over them. I, I, I just, I found it quite unbelievable and really frustrating that the same sort of thing again has got the better of the Bulldogs. A few people wanted to, you know, I sort of made that point after the game, and a few people said, I hope you focus on the fact that, you know, the, the dogs, you know, pushed Collingwood all the, all the way and they, and they did some really good things. And, and I, 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 totally, I absolutely agree with that because in the, fir- the first quarter, the dogs were excellent. And the last quarter, they, they did fight back well, ultimately, even if it didn't matter. The game could have, the game could have, it could have been worse than what it became. Okay, I, I think in that, that context. So yeah, you, you mentioned you mentioned it in, in your little your little spiel earlier. I, I thought a three goal lead the dogs had heading into the latter stages of the second term. I thought they were full value for it. I, I think the dogs were. I, I don't. Th- I don't think the five point margin at halftime truly reflected the way that the first half went. I mean, both sides had their moments when they were on top in the in the contest. The dogs got the jump on the pies early, but they managed to respond to the challenges that Collingwood put forward. The defence held up really well, and the forward line combined quite well too. But the problem was heading into half time, we let Jamie Elliott off the hook, and he kicked those two goals late in the second term, which uh, you know, they, you know, those, those sort of red time goals in the last three minutes of quarters, they always get under my skin. You know that by now, Nick. And 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 it took a it took a, a deserved three goal lead into a fairly flattering five point margin, or certainly for Collingwood. So, but I, I I'm I'm fine to concede that the dogs played well in patches because they did but that run in the second or that run in the second and third terms is unforgivable 
but it, it's all too frequent. Hmm. Yeah, it very much is. And of course, you've got a few more numbers, which we'll tap onto a little bit uh, later, not too much later, but... Uh, well, why don't, we get, why, don't we get in, why don't we get into it now, actually? It's not if you've, a, not if you've got time. them there, oh, if I you've do. got them there, then, then fire away. Yeah, I, I do have them here because I know a few people have, have uh, want the question addressed. Uh, so i just get the questions up here. So the Supercoach Roach asks, how do we stop these large clumps of opposition goals? And why haven't we addressed it since the 2021 Grand Final? Uh, another one here... Um, where was the, there was a quote, I think, that was made from Bevo's press conference yesterday. Uh, he said, there's been a pattern of play and game style we're after with just little lapses here and there which allow opposition teams some momentum. This is from Jez. Uh, Surely after this long, the issue is more than the players just need to do it for longer. It has to be coaching or personnel. So let, let's have a look here. So I've got it here. And, and Nick, this is not pretty reading. So there was, no, it so wouldn't it all, be. It all started with a game late in the 2021 season where, and these are not necessarily goals in a row, but these are these are clumps like this 12 goals to two patch that we saw on Friday night. So there was a game late in the 2021 season, which kick-started it all, where we conceded a run of 16 goals to one. And a game now, that was not mentioned. Now, the, the good news is that the bad news isn't as bad as that, but the bad news is that this is a theme. So here we go. In 2022, round one against Melbourne, a, a nine goal to two run. Round two against Carlton, an 11 goal to four run. Round four against Richmond, an eight goal to one run. Round five against North, a five goal to nil run. Round eight against Port Adelaide, a five goal to one run. Round 10 against the Sun, six goals to two. Round 12 against the Cats, eight goals to one. Round 15 against Hawthorne, five goals to one. Round 16 against Brisbane, 15 goals to three. Round 17 against Sydney, an eight goal to two run. And then in the same match, another seven goal to two run. Round 18 against the Saints, five goals to one. Round 19 against Melbourne, seven goals to two. Round 20 against the Cats again, 13 goals to two. Round 21 against the Dockers, seven goals to two. Round 23 against the Hawks, five goals to nil. The elimination final against Fremantle, an 11 goal to two run. And that's just 2022. 2023, round one against Melbourne, two separate six goal to one runs over the course of the match. Round two against the Saints, eight goals to one. Round four against Richmond, eight goals to one. Round eight against the Giants, four goals to nil. Round nine against the Blues, who, bear in mind, only kicked one goal at half time, still managed a seven goal to one run. Round 11 against the Suns, eight goals to one. Round 12 against Geelong, six goals to none. Round 14 against North, four goals to one. Round 16 against Fremantle, four goals to none. And then against Collingwood, 12 goals to two. So that is a horrible picture. It's horrible, but let me just let me just break it down for you a bit more. So in 2022, we played 23 games. I just rattled off 16 instances where that happened. So 16 out of 23 mm. games. This year... At this point played, in time, yes, how many in this particular season, please, Matt? we played 16 games. I rattled off 10 examples. So Okay, I, so give me a second. So just so what was it, 16 out of 23 last year, yes? So in the last 40 games that we've played, we've conceded a bad run, not necessarily consecutive goals, but a bad run, 27 times out of 40, which works out to be two every three games. 
just about. Mm. So, was, look, I will say, I'll was, say this. We have improved by 7% from last year, which is not nothing to <laughs> nothing amazing. You know, we were going at about 69 and 70%. And this year, the numbers, uh, in terms of the, where these runs have featured during the respective games, they've now featured in 62.5% of our games in comparison to that. So there is a, there is a minor improvement. So 80% of the 80% of the summer was spent to improve 7% of our game. Brilliant. These are not minor lapses though. These are significant breakdowns in the system. If you're conceding that run of goals that often, and like I say, they're not consecutive. I think there was a stat that said that since the start of last year, only West Coast have given up more runs of four consecutive goals than us. But that I, is I think, I think it well. runs deeper than that. It runs deeper than that. Because look at the look other Brisbane, ones too for you here, Matt. Like actually. the Brisbane one here, 15 goals to three. Yeah, that was not a good game. That was uh, June 30th or whatever it was last year. And then I've got some other ones here too. Uh, quarter, quarter by quarter stats, Matt, yeah. this year. Right. Uh, so percentage in the very first term, uh, 106.19. Percentage in the second term, 100.62. We have won the second quarter by literally two points. Over the course of the year. We've won the third quarter by literally four points for a percentage of 101.3. And our best terms are our finals, where we've won effectively by four goals, which is 107.64. The funny thing is, we've won each respective quarter stat. Okay, so let's have a look. So what's our record? Nine and seven, yes? Mm -hmm. So we've won in the first quarters, nine out of 16. We've then gone nine, one, and six in the second. We've gone again, nine, one, and six. And then we've gone 10 and six. In the fourth. So that's a record of 37, 2, and 25 from the respective 64 um, quarters played this season for us. It's interesting. Yeah. I, and I, I each of them we've conceded, each of them we've scored over 300 points in, but as well, each of them we've conceded a total of 300 points plus in. So look, when I was thinking about it with with these, these runs, I mean, because it's a good question, like who who actually who should be taking responsibility for this? Like, obviously, everybody takes some form of responsibility. But my question, like I was sort of, I didn't go to the game, but when I was on my way home that night, I was sort of thinking to myself, like, well, right, there was a stage in the third term when Collingwood had kicked five goals in a row across both the the end of the second quarter and the start of the third term, and. I was sort of thinking, like, all right, but if you're in the coach's box, you see this happening. What's the actual plan at this point when it's when the run is five goals to zero? What's what are you actually putting in place to try and stop that from becoming twelve goals to two, hmm. or, or twelve goals to or, or whatever it is in the row? Like, or maybe it was six goals to one. Sorry, yeah, the run was six goals to one at that stage. Like, what what? I just, I just don't understand what, you know. I mean, so the coaches, the coaching staff, and the you know people in the box observe that and will see that unfolding. But what are they actually putting in place to prevent that? And then again, or, I would ask the same thing. Or every, what are they? 
yeah, why are they putting what they've put in place? Why isn't as effective as we would hope it to be as well? But then I would ask that question for every other instance that I've read out there. Like, what? what yep, had, like, at what? They've had twenty six previous games to practice. <laughs> yeah. Twenty six previous games and twenty seventh, obviously, on the or last week they to get it right. They would recognise well before those runs get as bad as they do that it's something's not quite right. So what are they putting in place to try and challenge that I've, at some point? I've got way? a number for you, Matt. Oh, not a number. Sorry, I've got a question for you to do. So you can, this will be for next week, though. Are you able to please work out the respective run? Where did you say this run started from? Sorry, from start, that particular game, yeah? Yeah. It started so this from, is a, yeah, okay. Yeah, so could you last 40 please, games. Could you please um, see if you can do a similar uh, analysis uh, from the respective... Uh, twenty, if you can, please, from twenty nineteen to, to to before that particular match. Okay. Okay. To see if there's just to see if there's a comparison where the team has relatively got good football being played and was struggling on a structural sense, whereas now and last year, relatively, it's had its structure in place, but it's struggling on a system sense. I can have a look. I can I can have a look and see how many of these sort of runs that they conceded from twenty nineteen up until yes, yes, and add up yeah. add up the respective add up the respective total because I want to see like technically if like hypothetically we've conceded I don't know one hundred and eighty goals in these respective runs or whatever it is, and that's from a lot of goals being kicked in a block, you know, six or seven or eight. Whereas if, say, hypothetically, in the in the previous seasons where it's maybe been a run of 3-4 and there's been multiple 3-4 goal runs and that's still, you know, not good, but the difference would say that we were able to hold up better, potentially. Yeah. I just, I just think some of, the, some of those runs are incredible. I, oh, I just, some uh, of them are I, absolutely horrific. I think it's extraordinary that we're, at, that we're at this stage where it's still happening. It was a thing that I, that I noticed, and it's it's you know what when it's not consecutive goals and when it's not all happening in the course of one quarter, it's easy to kind of get lost because a lot of those runs won't happen in the space of one quarter. They'll no, happen over the space it's of not, a couple. It's not always it's not always linear, isn't it? I mean, Doesn't it's mean sort of, it's not like it's necessarily kind of like in that the, sense, but it, but it follows in different patches. It's like the argument we were making about Eugle Hagen last week, saying, "Well, this mm. sort of spike has has occurred over the course of two seasons." So it's it's not the sort of thing that just kicks off from round one of a season always, the spike. It tends no. to happen over the course of two seasons and then there's a big gap in between the two years and you, and you sort of get lost in, in one's development. It's the same sort of thing here where these runs take place over the course of a couple of quarters. So it's easier to sort of disguise it, I suppose. Well, not disguise it, but it's it's easier to fly under the radar a bit. But I, I picked up on it last week and I thought, well, like, just how often is this happening? And as it turns out, it's happening two out of every three matches, and that's concerning because there are some there's some pretty, pretty mediocre sides that we're conceding these sorts of runs to, like North Melbourne, yeah. Fremantle, Gold Coast, Carlton, the Giants, Richmond. None of those are in the top eight, and we're conceding these runs to these teams. Hmm. Despite us holding on to win against those sides, yeah. well, it's some, some it's, of the, it's still, a, yeah. it's still games, a concern that you shouldn't be allowing the team teams like that to allow those runs. Some of those games we are winning, yes, but again, like that, like it, that doesn't really matter. Like, I suppose you can you can argue no, how, how you win is important, mate. How you, how win, you is win is important. important. And I and I, I said, Nick, uh, you know, winning ugly is fine to a point, 
eventually yes how often before the wheel turns the other way isn't it yeah you've got to get yourself right and we got to see that in 2017 i was having concerns with us back then having a five and two record and i was thinking we're playing like absolute shizen Mm. you know this is either going to go one way or the other (laughs) unfortunately it turned the, the wrong way serious question can you see us winning a final this year because yeah. I, I, I like, and I know I, I'm generally more glass half empty with these sorts of things. I, I can't, I can't see us winning a final. I mean, just playing playing finals, and I said this after Jones did his uh, or, or broke his arm, or oh, wrist or whatever that, it was. Yeah. yeah, even even I would say even finals aren't guaranteed. Like we're only one game. Ahead in the, in the finals, Adelaide are one game behind us. They've got us covered for percentage. The Giants are only one game behind us. We, we've got them covered for percentage, but you know, not by a lot. No, but they're playing good football now, aren't they? They're yeah. playing. They've been pretty pretty tough across this season. I, I think not even. I think playing finals isn't isn't even a guarantee. We've got some tough games coming up still. Like the Swans over in in Sydney is never easy. We've got to play the Bombers. They're not an easy side to to beat at the moment. They're going quite well. And I'm a bit worried about that one, to be honest. We do have a match yes, against the, a little bit. We do have a match against the Giants, but it's at Mars Stadium. I don't know whether that helps or hinders us, uh, but that's a that's a that's a classic eight pointer. We've got the Tigers, who are really hard to get a read on, uh, particularly at Marvel. I think at the moment, I think if it was under hard week, I'd feel a bit more confident, to be honest. And then we've got the Hawks, who in Tassie are capable on their day. The Eagles, which we really should, well, we should win that one, and then the Cats down there. Like, there's not many games where I'd go, oh yeah, we'll definitely win that one. There's a couple of danger games in there, and certainly there's games where we wouldn't go in as favourites. Do I see us winning a final at least? Yeah, I reckon off the back of at least what has been displayed this year, where I think what we've been able to at least show against um, the, the supposed better teams has been a bit more encouraging than, say, the sides below us on the ladder with their respective matches against those respective sides. So I think that's probably something which says we should be at least able to, you know, get to a semi-final minimum, which is not brilliant, but... Considering that we've lost four elimination finals, I think you and I—I I know you, I know you're still saying what the ideas in the top four and whatnot, but I think at this point in time we'll we'll take a finals win and then reassess and see what the heck's the go. Yeah. Okay. I, yeah. I, we, I, I think I think you and I just want to see. I think we just want to see a finals victory uh, all, um, at this point in time. We all do. I just wonder whether it it, it can win a, a final. Like I, I know what you're saying about like, there haven't been like outside the first fortnight there haven't been too many games where we've played really really badly. This year, there have been a couple of disappointing defeats along the way. But uh, yeah, I, I just, I just, I just wonder, you know, and I just worry a little bit. I, I don't think we're, I don't think we're, we're, I don't think we're making top four. We're not making top four. So I think, I think our best chance is, is finishing fifth or sixth and getting that home final. Because if we've got to, if we've got to go on the road, for instance, or we've got to play, if. We've, Adelaide yeah, over there, a, for instance. Yeah, Adelaide over there, or, or even Melbourne at the MCG. I'd really worry about that. Or if we had to, or if we had to play Geelong in a final. I wouldn't want to play Geelong in a final. We don't beat Geelong any any time, no less a final. I, I don't want to have a. I don't want to face Essendon in a final. I really don't want to face Essendon in a final. There aren't really many teams that I'd be comfortable facing in in a final. 
the other uh, the other wrinkle that you've got to throw into the mix as well is if the dogs host a crowd or host a, an Adelaide side, for instance, do they go with a request to play at Marvel as opposed to the MCG? Uh, it's it's not something that a lot of people have thought about. And like, to be fair, we've actually secured the, the home finals uh, firstly, but I, I think that that's I think the rep, uh, the myth. I think it's a myth that we play better football at Marvel now. I want, I prefer to say us play at the G, to Probably, be honest. Yeah. I think in recent years, our record is not exactly crash shot. We're not talking uh, win-wise. I'm talking playing style-wise. Mm-hmm. Um, the football that we were able to, to display back in 15 and 16 under the roof was incredible football. And it's been a long time, even probably since 2019, since we've played that electric brand of footy. Like even in 2021, our form at Marvel wasn't, despite the wins, wasn't, I don't think, amazing. I think we actually had a better, I think we were probably more impressive in our away matches, actually, than the footy we displayed at our, at our home venue in that side of things. Um, what do I reckon? Look, I, I still can see us probably winning a final, yeah. I reckon we can still okay. win a final, mate, to be honest. I'll just try to convince myself more, but I still think it can happen. Uh, well, we'll, uh, we'll plant that conversation and, and move on, I suppose. But no, I just wanted to, uh, to, to pose that question to you because, you know, as, as the weeks go by, as the weeks go by, and I, I, don't know, I know Collingwood are, are a very good side, but I, I just, it, if, if we're finding new ways to lose every week, I think that's one thing. You know, if we're, if we're losing, but, you know, we, we keep getting exposed in a, in a different sort of way, I suppose that's, that's one thing. But when it's, when you see these themes crop up, uh, you know, the inability to convert your chances in front of goal, the inability to target in such a the inability to, to stop opposition teams getting on a run. I think when it's the same way for the past year and a half, that's when it really concerns me. And that's what I see with the, with the run of goals. And we've seen it in the last two finals that we've played. And, I mean, what's to say that it wouldn't happen if we played an elimination final this year? Indeed. That is the concern. Speaking of concerns... We probably need to have a chat about Bailey Smith. He's been in the headlines a bit over the past few days. His last few performances haven't been great. I think he, he might have only had but he one. Still played, still played some pretty good football prior to that, though. He's had some okay so games. He's had some okay games this year. Look, I'll, I'll say it's been a it's been a rough eighteen months for Bailey Smith, and, and I think. When you want to when you want to discuss him, I think it, it's worth acknowledging that there are a few things that have happened that are of his own doing. I think that's fair to say, but equally so, I think there's a few things that have occurred that are well outside of his control, as well. Um, so we know about some of the some of the indiscretions that took place both on and off the field over the course of last season. Uh, he sort of spiraled a bit out of control after the grand final. He's ha- he's been very open with his own issues surrounding mental health. Uh, there was there was a couple of suspensions that he incurred last season, both for on field and off field indiscretions. He's had a well, he had a he had a bad preseason in terms of that calf injury that, that he picked up. So he didn't really have much of a preseason. He got cleaned up by Cosy Pickett in the first game of the season. I'm not sure how I'm not sure how much that's affected things. Since. Just 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 humour me here. Yeah. What did he got? What did he get for that? Two weeks, yeah. Two weeks, Pickett got for that. Yeah. You're, t- you're saying he got two weeks at Caleb Sarong for a absolute yeah. piss week tackle, which is 
a disgrace that the AFL suspended him. He copped one week. Yeah. Whereas Ellen was an intentional cannibal. Yeah. That's, my God. I suppose I've got vested interest with Sarong being in my super coach team, but that's, that's ridiculous. Oh, but that's, that's rubbish, man. That's there's, ridiculous. There's, there's select words. There are select yeah. words that I would add, bring well, up look, here, but that's well, not we, we, could, we could set aside another episode for complaining about that Sarong tackle. And he had, uh, as well, Bailey Smith. Uh, he picked up a, another injury against against Richmond. I think Brad was the one who told us that he picked up that, I think it was that calf injury in the last quarter against Richmond uh, earlier in the year as well. So he missed a couple of games there. So he's had, a, he's had a lot going on that sort of held him back. But he's made headlines recently because of the fact that he's not, he didn't have a great game against Collingwood. He had a, a shocker, to be honest. He missed the club's main training session on Tuesday. He's no guarantee to play against the Swans this no. week due to, to an illness. He, he will – yeah, it's a different level of it. It's not sickness per se. I think it's, it's like a breather that he actually needs for different things to get right. So it's probably the right thing for him, to be honest. There's been some speculation uh, about him, you know, possibly playing a, a, at another club next year, whether that needs to be what takes place for him to, to get back to his best football. Yeah. Yeah, now there's nothing pretty much we have to worry about in regards to into that side of things there, Matt, and, and to all the Bulldog fans out there for, for Bailey Smith potentially playing elsewhere uh, in 2024. Um, it's not something that is on on his agenda and on his mindset, and from what I can understand anyways, um, I know that he's pretty, pretty, pretty happy uh, with what's going on at the club, and he knows that the club is doing the, the right thing by him and looking after him as much as they can, and they've... Um, it's 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 amazing to see, you know, like any time that there's a an up and coming player at our club. That's you know we're seen as you know one of the the lower tier sides in that side of things, you know, in terms of marketability or supporter base or you know those those sort of numbers, and our players always tend to get to an extent thrown to the wolves in the media. You wouldn't see them talking about other players from from you know higher profile clubs wouldn't you no, say so oh yeah trade mate, trade mate, throw, throw them here or you know have a look at this because i know geelong's put out the feelers for him last year and they're they did it again pretty recently and again smith's pretty much just said yeah yeah go, go away effectively yeah. which is really really nice to see and yeah that's why he signed the deal there's last real, year there's a real um, i mean for, for a club that's considered irrelevant there's a real obsession from a lot of people to, to talk about the future of our players isn't there Yes, to push Bailey a particular Smith. agenda, isn't it? I mean, you can you can add Aaron Norton and Tim English to, to the mix as well. I mean, the, the, a lot of people are very desperate to see them play for other clubs. Yeah, but the, if they were from another team, like like a Carlton or, for instance, yeah. they would have been saying, oh, outstanding deal, you know. You know, this is exactly what needs to be done and, you know, we've got to lock them down long term. Like, I'm still trying to get my head around. What's making Tom DeConing a star? He's six height. years in, and he's he's proved two fifths of, of you know of F all. He's height in comparison he's to other players. He's height. He's height, and what's he done? He's height, and he still can't mark the football. But that, that that that's that's the appeal. He's height. Not marking the was, football. No. If he was if he was six foot tall, he wouldn't even be on the list. Tell you now. The guys are yeah, well, at, at the start of the year. I suppose the other thing as well that that probably is probably has seen the the intrigue around him go up was that little um was that little on-field discussion between him and some sydney player i can't remember the, the, the sydney players said look forward to seeing you wearing the red and white next year that's probably drummed up a bit of height as well to be fair but there's not much 
not much at all. Uh, do you think no, there's, do you think there's very little substance for it, and it's only been drummed up by the media? There's no, there's nothing to take from. Do you, think, that sort of thing. do you think Bailey Smith's playing in the right position? That's another suggestion as well. Do you think he's being? Do you think we're we're maximising his capabilities at the moment? Unfortunately, not in that in that context. But it's, you know, I think it's understood that, and I think even Beveridge alluded to it in the conference. That you know Smith's not playing in, in the preferred position, but it's, you know. It, sort of changed since Trelaw's come back in too. And I'm pretty sure that's, you know, if Trelaw was to be out, if he was to be out, then I'm pretty confident Bailey Smith will go back into the right spot, you know, for those things. So they're very similar type footballers in terms of the style of play that they would do. It's just hard to balance it out between those two because they're not, you know, half forwards there. And it's hard to throw them on the wing because then people will say, well, what about McRae? Because McRae didn't feature in a centre bounce despite being part of a, a trio that established you know, a, a pretty good performance against Fremantle's midfield. Yeah. You know, Sarong and Brayshaw are, are good players as well as you know Darcy and the Ruck there too. So it's, it's, it's really difficult to be able to work out who's, who's still playing where, or at least in terms of allocating these midfield minutes. And it's not because you know, we've lost like Dunkley and Hunter, because we could do the job beforehand. Well, you just imagine how bad it, it could be that if, so. if you still had Dunkley... There, like, I don't really, I don't really buy this argument, Nick. That no, there's just no, not enough. There's, there's not enough. There's not enough room to, to give them all midfield minutes. I mean, it there's wasn't plenty of room. It, it wasn't an issue in 2021, and we had all of them there. We had Bontempelli, Liberatore, McRae, Dunkley, Trelaw, Bailey Smith, Lockie Hunter, Patrick Lipinski. We, we had. I mean, people were saying that we had too many midfielders then, but it wasn't an issue then. But it, We've lost a few of those players, and it's somehow an issue now. And we've got no one coming through. So I'm not sure I really – I get what you're saying. You've got to divvy it up a little bit. But I just – I don't I don't subscribe to this argument that there's just not enough midfield minutes to go around. Neither, neither do I in that side of things. I don't know why some players are probably aren't playing as much midfield minutes. Um, but that's, again, priorities in some players. week. The week after or two weeks after, they'll say, yeah, let's rotate it around, you know, whatever it is like McRae has done for the better part of this season and large chunks of last year too. You know, he's putting his football, his best football aside for the team. Mm-hmm. And obviously people would talk about, oh, Smith going off and not having great form. Answer this though. I haven't seen, has Bailey Smith um, complained about the roles he's been playing in a few weeks? I haven't no. heard a thing. No, no, no. Exactly. So, exactly. So it's not for you. I'm just. It, it's nothing to worry about then, because it's only being drummed up because people need to get clickbait going on. Yeah. No. I. I yeah. I. I, disag- I disagree that he needs to be somewhere else. And given what happened last year, I'm not really in the market for giving away best twenty-two plays anymore, particularly with the departures of Dunkley and, and Hunter. I'm still. If it was to happen, I'm still taking. I don't care whether people think that he's worth it or not. I'm still taking uh, two top tens. Not take not to trade, but I'm saying that's his value because I know yeah. he'll I know he'll yeah. match it also. I'm not trading for anything else other than that. Yeah, and even can. then, I don't want to trade him. And the other thing, like I mean, I'm no economics star. You don't sell when value is at rock bottom. Like this is this is now this is now this is now the time when you don't sell on, on a player like Valley Smith. No, and I don't think we we're not. I not don't that, believe, you, not no, that you no. want to anyway, but if you are thinking about it, like this is this is the this would be the worst time to sell him because you you not this. I mean, your your return is is never going to be worse, really. 
because there's, I mean, there's, there's off-field speculation about him and, and all this sort of stuff. He's not playing great football. This is this is the time when you when you stick fat with, with Bailey Smith. Not that I would really give him up anyway. The only reason I would let Bailey Smith go is if Bailey Smith wants to go. If he wanted to go, I think it'd be a bit different story. But we've not had any indication that that's the case. So I'm fine to hold. No, and neither is neither from what I've heard. I'm pretty sure that he's uh, exceptionally content at the kennel. Are we biting the bullet on Rory Love this week? Uh, from what I've heard, uh, we are. I think it's fair. I think it's fair. From what I've heard, we we actually are biting the bullets, and um, it looks like we will be seeing the uh, the the wonderful forward ruck prospect uh, make a return to the team. So you're talking about you're talking about Sam Darcy, I, I assume. Indeed. Indeed, it looks like he will be uh, returning to the team so, uh, this particular week. Luke Beveridge was, was talking about this, and like he, he said a couple of things about Sam Darcy. He said, "Oh, look, you know, he's we'll consider it, but we're not sure because he hasn't played a lot of game time." And he said, "You know, you know, Rory's been you know, contributing in other ways, and he's become a bit of a role player in you know in, in recent weeks." I, th- I think was the was the term. And that's all well and good. I've just got a personally, and I might be alone in this. I'm not sure. I'm just not the biggest fan of throwing $1.5 million at role players. Neither am I. I get what you say about, you know, the type, Rory Lobb types don't grow on trees. And that may be true. But I'm still not spending $1.5 million on a role player. No, let alone for four years. I mean, it's that, I mean, just of I think course, you know, contracts both, split around. But yeah. We both agree now that it definitely is four years. Yeah, you've heard. Yeah, I've yeah, I've been saying it's four years. Unfortunately, yeah, you've been saying four, I've, been saying, I've been saying three. We've had to try and figure it out. Uh, I'm but, terrified yeah. the fact that it's four, man. But uh, oh, sometimes it's just what it is. Just, uh. Look, well, he can still play some good football for us, I reckon, nonetheless. But um, I'm pretty sure. I think Darcy is coming in this week. I well, believe. I'd be I'd be fine with that. Look, I, I we we sat here 12 months ago, Nick, and I, I'll, you might not have said it. I certainly did. Whatever game time you wanted to give to Rory Lobb, just give it to Sam Darcy. Because I think Sam Darcy is just as good a footballer as Lobb is now, and he's got a much higher ceiling, and he's going to cost you significantly less. Oh, Darcy, yeah. For, if, arguably, if, I think in the long run, Darcy will cost us significantly more. <laughs> but yes, no, no, I agree in that context. In I terms, think, of, in I terms think, of the uh, the draft assets as well, I think, oh, the two second rounds. Look, I'd, I'd say with... If the Dogs knew that they were going to finish around that fifth to eighth mark again at best this year, would they have still done the deal for Lob? I don't think so. I think they did the Lob deal with a top four finish in mind. Hmm. You don't you don't get Rory Lob to finish sixth or seventh. You get him as that luxury player that's just going to give you just that little extra push to get yourself into the top four, and it it just hasn't worked. He's had some okay performances this year. He has had some not very good. He take one mark, I think it was against Collingwood last week. I mean, Norton yep. and Eugle Hagen were outstanding together. And Eugle Hagen, I think, took ten marks. He took was it three contested, five inside fifty. Norton kicked four goals. He, he uh, we say Norton continues to say that Norton's not had a, a great season, but he's not a bad one either. He's now he's now hit the thirty goal mark, I think, for the yep, season. Exactly. That's amazing. See, imagine this. For us, you know, five, ten years ago, we would have been crying out for a four to just get the keyboard to just get the 30, you know, and he's having a, you know, a poor season by his standards. 
and he's still moving along quite nicely. That's just, yeah. it's, it's, it'll always be a constant debate between him going forward and back, but he's still a pretty good forward, and he does demand a, a fine opponent. Uh, but he'll just... get better. He'll get better the more Jamara starts to keep coming on. Imagine if Jamara starts taking the number one. Imagine how Norton's going to destroy the second defender then. And Sam Darcy, I'm sorry, in, in the VFL is just way too good for it anymore, I think, now. So oh, he's, he's, before, he's performance of the weekend, 21 disposals. He had 21 disposals, Sam Darcy. The guy is seven foot plenty. He took 11 marks, 15 hitouts. And with the margin just at two points late in the last quarter, he's just flicked the switch. He's kicked the last three goals of the game. One he of them said, was after the siren, but still. Who, who he's cares? He's just decided with the game on the line, he said, no, nah, enough of this. Bang, bang, bang. Good night, nurse. That, it, you, got, you just got to play him. All right. I mean, you could sort of say, all right, but he hasn't, you know, he, he's unlimited game minutes or, or whatever. But, you know, he that will all improve if you give him game time in the seniors. Hmm. I've got something here for you. This will be very pleasing, actually. Tell me, off, off a guess, how many marks inside 50 and how many marks in general do you reckon Jamara has taken this year? I've got the numbers right in front of me, but how many do you reckon he's Mar- taken? Marks inside 50? Oh, I mean, gee. Uh, look, I would say... Just based off the fact that I'm, I'm not looking this up, I'm just getting the calculator out because my my multiplication skills are not great. I think we set in the average is about six and a half marks per game. So he's played, I think he's played every game this year. So six and a half times sixteen, that'll take us to 104. So I'll say 104 marks. Jeez, it sounds like a lot. So I'll, I'll I'll go with it. I'll, uh, I'll say 90. I'll say he's taken 90 marks this year, and I'll say. He averages about three marks inside 50. So 90 marks and 48 inside 50. That's what I'll go with. I like the the mathematics there, Matt. Uh, You're pretty close. He's taken 86 marks and 43 of those inside 50 with a quarter of his marks being contested. So 21 of the 86 roughly. So So I said, what did I say? I said 90 to 86 and 48 to 43. Yeah, that's pretty close actually. That is very close. I was thinking 104. Jeez, imagine that. <laughs> here's the fun. Here's the fun part. He's sitting fifth in the competition for marks inside fifties. Are we we agreed? Do we agree that the spike has happened? I think I think uh, the spike. I think the spikes arrived, Nick. Yeah, we've we've seen the spike, and last year we got to see the scope, and now we're seeing the both of them together. We're seeing the trajectory of how good he can get with this fine vein of form that's being displayed and Norton's also uh, I think sitting 11th for marks inside 50 as well so Dan Coston Coston, who's clearly a bit of a statistician might be threatening your job as the accountant Nick with with the numbers he's put together a it's a wonderful chart there Dan (laughs) seriously it it is no he's he's done he's done a fantastic job I suppose it it takes a, a little bit of Gymnastics, to, mental gymnastics, to get your head around it all. Yes, please, please check it out, people, on our on the Twitter, yes, uh, on our is. Twitter thread there, because um, it is, of course, a, uh, what do you call it? It is a visual one. This is an audio podcast, of yeah. course. So, what, what, he's, what he's done is he's charted Eugel Hagen's rolling average uh, over the course of his career. I think in terms of a, a five-game rolling average. So, uh, what his what his numbers over his previous five games have been up to every match in his career. Um, I, I think I've explained that 
okay. I'm not, not sure, but hopefully that makes sense. But check it out on our, on our Twitter page if, if you're not sure. But he's rolling he's, he's, he's rolling average at the moment in terms of marks per game, goals per game, contested marks and marks inside 50 is higher now than it's ever been in his career. So he's averaging more marks, more goals, more marks inside 50, more contested marks in, the pre, in his previous five games than in any five-game stretch up to this point. So it's 7.6 marks, 4.2 marks inside 50, 2.6 contested marks and 1.8 goals. Now that, I, I think the spike has arrived, Nick. So you know what you do now? Now you just sit back and you figure out how the hell he improves his accuracy. Because if we get that sorted, then every box is ticked. Yes, we'll have a. We will actually be having a, a legitimate. I reckon if he gets it right, we'll have oh, a legitimate does. top he top kicked, twenty player, top ten in the next three years. He kicked next two, two years. Probably. He kicked two, three, and, and he had another two shots that didn't score. One of them just fell short. The Darcy Moore one. Oh, that infuriated me. Interestingly enough, though, all of his shots were to the right in terms of in terms of his actual scores. All of his shots were to the right of goal. So he was doing more of that leading into the pocket nonsense. Um, hmm. But uh, actually, another stat that, that I came across, uh, I didn't mention this last week in the game against Fremantle. I did mention it after the North Melbourne game. We had one bounce against the Dockers. Just the one <laughs> at Marvel Stadium. We, we, we bumped it up significantly. We, we had more against Collingwood than we did in the previous two matches. We, had four, we bounced the ball four times. I don't know That's why I'm so, I'm so interested in that statistic. I just think it's really weird. You would have lost your mind with us uh, under the eight days where we were bouncing the ball 20 to 30 times a match. Oh, I know. Well, I think we we certainly broke the record in one match against Brisbane. I think we bounced the ball 52 times. <laughs> 52 times. It's extraordinary. No, that that was a fun side to watch. If you, I've looked at the bounce numbers of that in, in recent years, and it just... I'll tell you what, if premierships were won by bouncing the ball, we'd have been the Harlem Globetrotters that year. They 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 belted opposition teams off the park with their bounce numbers. Um, no, I wonder what just, the percentage just, of that would have been too. Incredible. <laughs> just, 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 found that, just found that very interesting. Uh, before we head to, to the questions, any other observations you took out of the out of the game based off what you've seen and, and what you've heard over the over the past few days? I mean Got to give, got to give um, marks to to Ryan Gardner as well. He was in the wars and hopping around. Game fifty, of league. course. Yes, game fifty as well. And I suppose that it typifies Gardner in a lot of ways. It hasn't always been easy. And it hasn't always been pretty. But you know, it's always been it's always been very willing and, and very determined, and you know, just limping around on one leg for most of the night, but toughed it out. And they subbed out O'Donnell instead of earlier in the last quarter. And look, O'Donnell O'Donnell didn't set the world on fire, but I thought we've got. Garner limping around, and you might have just maybe taken him off, but clearly they had a bit of confidence in him. That was Got to give him some massive props there, though, of course. I know we've spoken a, a bit about him maybe more off-air than on-air. I'm a bit worried about, well, I think in terms of how many games he's got left, I think we're very much into single figures now for Taylor Jaray. I don't like writing players off. But he's had a contract this year. He's done the one-year deal thing for a, a little while now, and he didn't have a great game on Jamie Elliott. Like, Elliott is a class player. He is, but he, 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 he hasn't had a great season, Jure. And 
Uh, not by the standards, not by the standards that he's produced, but um, I think he's earned the right to call it when he wishes. To be honest, and also we don't have a player like him, and he's. I think he's been actually for for the fourth. Was it a future fourth round pick that we got from him? He's yeah. been incredible with that, clearly. And I I'm wondering though, in a ES, do I think he's going to probably finish up? I unfortunately think that is probably the case. I think he was pretty close to it last year too. And then he, uh, you know, signed on for at least uh, for obviously for this season. So we'll see again. It'll be probably again a, a late, late, late decision. You know, I think, I think probably the once that we the don't, trade period done. I think the fact that we don't have anyone else in his position works in his favour in that regard. But I think the onus is on the club to get someone that is like him, or to get someone of his position in in this trade period. I mean, I always, I, I think, always, I mean. It doesn't exactly go back to the to the point that I've, I've made in the past about needing to, to look to improve the best 22 rather than just sort of, you know, have a play there and just so, all right, yeah, that'll, that'll sort of do. You've always got to be looking to improve everyone in the best 22, whether it's whether it's Bontempelli, whether it's the best player on the list or, or the 44th best player on the list. You've always got to look to improve every spot on your list. And I just think, the dogs need to try and need to spend this off season trying to find. Well, I mean, there's a lot of things the dogs need to do this off season, personally. But I, I think uh, I just yeah, that whole there's no one quite like him on the list already doesn't sit well with me. If that's the case, you've got to go and find someone. You know, just sort of put your hands up and go. Oh well, like I mean, we don't have anyone else, so we've got to go with him. We're going to have to replace him eventually because he's not going to he's not going to be on that list forever. I suppose that's the case with every player, but yeah, just a just a just a, a slight just a slight. Yeah, it's a bit of food there. for thought there. Yeah, I thought um, I thought the dogs' defence just in general though was a bit yeah over the course of the the night. I I, I don't know. I I just I just saw them. I just saw them panic a, a bit, like Garner battled away, and you know maybe you and I see Garner a little bit differently. Um, I, and then I look at what's what's there in the reserves. I mean, I, I watched the VFL before, and I, I watched Josh Bruce try to play in defence. And we love Brucey. I, I love what he's done as a as a key forward. I thought his year in twenty twenty one was exceptional, and I thought he's worked he worked really hard because he had a rough twenty twenty, and he, he worked really hard to to become the footballer that we wanted him to be. And then he picked up that knee injury, and I just think this move down back is just not working. I think it was more. It seemed out of necessity too, but it's interesting too because he's done it because he's probably arguably seen the writing to an extent on the wall with the progression of Jamal, with the progression of Dusty. Here's the the thing: if if you'd be dropping, if if you're going to drop Lob this week, and they kept Bruce as a a full forward, just just to say that they didn't didn't do that, would you drop? Would you drop Lob and, and bring in? Bruce, or would you bring in Darcy? Like, there'd be a reasonable debate. I sort of made this point at the start of the year as well when I was talking about. I wrote, we wrote an, I wrote an article at the start of the year, you know, about why I think Bruce going down back is just a bad idea. And I sort of said, look, his, his prospects of playing forward are no worse than his prospects of playing down back. Like, if he's, I mean, he's the sort of, if, if Keith or Garner or O'Donnell were to pick up an injury, let's say, Bruce is probably next in. Would that be? I think that'd be fair to say at the moment, with no Liam Jones and, and all that. To be fair, I think well, Bruce it's for is, the physical wrestling type. Yes. Yeah, 
So with a couple, he's not the best judge of the ball in the air if he's having to wait for the ball. If he's trying to respond to the drop of the ball in like in a forward sense, in a proactive sense, then yes. But being a defender, you you're reacting to what's happening. So that with with the injuries to Jones and O'Brien, Bruce is now next in line. If those two were fit, he's probably third in line for a go. There are no injuries. There are no injuries in the going to come in this week. Bruce for Gardner. I think he is. Okay. If there are no injuries, though, he's probably third in line. There are no injuries in the forward line, though, but he would probably be first in line should anything happen to any one of those three. Yep. Maybe second at best after Darcy. But my point is that his prospects of playing at forward or his prospects of getting a a game are better if he stayed at the forward than if he, he moved down back. So I've never really understood the positional change. And, and it's a good example that you don't try to teach 31-year-olds how to play in a new position. Well, I suppose it's not new, but he hadn't played there for over a decade. It may as well be new. Oh, it's certainly new. <laughs> it's certainly new to yeah, him, no, considering I, I the game was defensively changed in that time frame yeah. from when it last occurred. I just saw his, his decision-making and his his movement. I, I love him, but I, I love the way he plays the game. But as a forward, but I just, nah, it's just not working. It's not working. And they, they will stick by it. And then, you know, that's, they, they may as well at this point, but I just think he's still got more to offer as a forward than what he does as a, as a defender. Let's move on to the questions though, because I know you need some, in fact, we both need some shut eye, I think at the moment. Oh, so. you, bet, you bet we do that. <laughs> we're, we're, we're moving along as well as we can, I reckon. So here, here's an interesting one, and you know we'll you know we uh, from Angus Ferguson to to get started here with the glaring issues of previous years still present and our inability to take our chances to own a top four spot. Is it fair to say that any result other than a top four finish wouldn't have been enough to re-sign Bevo had he not already been extended? So we've had this conversation a couple of times this year. Luke Beveridge was meant to be out of contract at the end of this season. We. Sign him for an extra two years in November. If we hadn't done that, Nick, so he's out of contract, let's just say. The dog is at seventh at the moment. Would you be prepared to make a call now, or do you still need to see what unfolds from here? I think, personally, what I would have done, if I was in charge in that context, I reckon you could consider a one-year Extension, which is what Beveridge was um, at, the, at that point in time actually uh, willing to consider. Um, I think if that deal wasn't locked in place for that respective two years, I think the club probably would have most likely then considered just the one year, I reckon, too, uh, to be honest there, Matt. I think it's probably the most of appropriate of actions where each side, sorry, each, uh, each particular party can try to ease the is the perceived pressure upon each other. Um, I think, though, a lot of that would probably come down to, because you know, on a beverage, I don't see him being a, a someone else that would consider alternative offers, and we're not exactly a club that's um, well, going to, you know, twist the knife in that side of things. Um, I reckon... God bless you. I reckon it would have to come down to... <laughs> I reckon it would have to... <laughs> <laughs> I reckon it would have to come down to probably what might would happen 
in a particular finals campaign. So, like, if there was to have been a, um, not that we want this, but if there was to have been a fifth elimination final exit, then there would be some honest discussions where the club would say, look, what do you reckon? Would you consider the one-year option or vice versa and that side of things? And then we will go from there. But pre-finals or pre, you know, queries on that regard, I think it still would have been the one-year alternative option. See, That's what I, I would have done. That's what I think we would have would have gone with. He's not. He's not a thirty-two-year-old veteran, Luke Beveridge. I, I don't like. I get the one-year deal when you're talking about players that are in the twilight of their career. But I think it's a bit different with coaches because a one-year deal feels like a half commitment. So you either you either go for it, or you you got to give him multiple years, that's, or that you just the two years on that side. Yeah. that's what's so, happened. Yeah, they backed him. I wouldn't have given him a deal at all last year. We've, we've spoken about this a lot. I wouldn't have given him a deal because I don't think there was enough to in 2022 to suggest that he deserved one. Uh, the dog's Not been... off the back of that respective year, no. Well, that, was a from... dre- that was a dreadful year across the across the board. They I went from the second whole, to whole... eighth. Like it's a six. It was a six spot drop. It was yep. a significant decline. I would have said, yeah. I would have said, well, no, no, no. There's no. There's not enough here to suggest that that one is warranted. Let's see what happens this year. And we'll make a decision from there. But I don't think a one-year deal is is something I would have I would have gone with. I don't. Think no, I just find that time. odd that he that's something that he considered originally. That's okay. what I find a bit a bit interesting there. I want to have a look at. I was looking up some of these numbers too, actually. If I can find them, give me a second here, Matt. Uh, where are we? Where are we? Just uh, just while while you're um. Uh, yeah. While you're going through that, I'll just go through some of the some of these other ones. So Matt Dean has put through some, uh, uh, has suggested some changes here. So O'Donnell, Lobb, and potentially Gardner, depending on his injury, are out. And he uh, bringing in Darcy, Bukakamas, and Jed Buslinger. Now I've yeah, been a fan of Buslinger. Tall. I'm not sure. I'm I think he will. I think he will be coming. Not this time, but I think he will be coming in relatively soon. Because Dan Cosset asks another question. Do you think we'll see any of the 2022 draftees at AFL level this season? So to acknowledge that we've had a couple of couple of debutants already uh, with O'Donnell and Poulter and, uh, and Baker in terms of club debut. I think Dan's sort of referring to that Buzzlinger Clark-Gallagher trio. Gallagher's back Clark, in the side for... Gallagher is a pretty good shout. I would be... Not yet. But he's a pretty, pretty good shot, I reckon, if he gets through these two respective weeks. I think we might be seeing him. Well, I reckon if it wasn't for, for injuries, yeah, we'd have already seen Gallagher um, make his debut. Yep. I'll, I'll just pump him up again. Sean Burgoyne 2.0 right there. Uh, Mr. Fix-It. I, li- I, li- I like that. He's just he's got, the, he's got 400 games to go. Four, yep. roughly four premierships too, so we'll take that. <laughs> uh, just in terms of because we've talked a bit a, a bit about the VFL, like Garner is still a chance to play if he if he gets through training and and the like. Uh, Toby McLean is a possibility to return this weekend from that lower back injury of his if he pulls up well from training. Johannesson is still two to three weeks away with that hamstring. I saw Mark Stevens say that he's a possibility to, to come in against. Yes, yeah, there, um, there is a there is a there is a genuine chance. That he does come in, despite him being listed as two to three weeks away, it'd be normal. Yes, it's a bit weird. There was there was a 
it'd be, yes, it would be. But it's a strange thing. I don't know. If, I don't know if I can trust it specifically because now we've had Jones has gone down from six to eight to three to five or something he, like he that. So, I, I will say though, Nick, despite all the negativity, I'm like you. I'm heading overseas in a couple of weeks' time. The last time I went overseas, the dogs won the flag. The last time Johannesson was rushed back from a hamstring injury to play against the Swans at the SCG, we also won the flag. So I'm liking where this is going at the moment. Uh, All right, then. So we just have to worry about. Yes, we just have to worry about a player potentially requesting a trade, then being held to contract again <laughs> later this year too. Crozier and O'Brien are both four to six weeks away, and one of your favourites, unfortunately, Don Bedendo. Oh, I'm won. getting. I'm flipping over this. It's. Pissing me off if you don't yeah. mind me saying it's triggering me. It's what re- is going on with him? Yeah, he's re he re injured his groin last in the last quarter against the Magpies in the VFL, and uh, he's okay. just listed as indefinite at this stage. So it's not been a yeah. Game. Just put him on. They're gonna put him on ice. I, I reckon so as well. At this point, you're not going to play him in a final. So just, right. just here we go. Uh, not, not drastic numbers, but uh, let's just go through it quickly. Um, all right. So this weekend, because we haven't tapped into this. Uh, this weekend, if the numbers are correct, which I believe they are, uh, will be Luke Beveridge's 200th game as coach. It is. Now, we've, we've kicked Luke Beveridge a bit today and, and a lot throughout the course of the year. I will, uh, but, I'll uh, mention this here too, actually. So we've yeah. got a, a record of 113 wins and 86 losses, uh, a premiership and two grand finals. Now, I was looking at these, his actual record overall against each respective club. Okay? Uh, now, there seems to be a lot of... Here. <laughs> nah, it's a bit interesting, but there's there's generally the table looks so at one side. So Adelaide's at sixty, the Lions are sixty nine, the Blues are at seventy two, uh, Collingwood sitting at fifty four, Essendon's at eighty nine. Uh, who else has he got? Fremantle is at forty six. Uh, Geelong is sitting at a wonderful sixteen percent. Who else have we got? Gold Coast is at 80%. The Giants sitting at 61. Who else is next? Hawthorne at 54. Melbourne at 42 or 43 almost. North Melbourne, uh, 77. Port Adelaide, 35. We've got Richmond sitting at uh, 55 and a half. Got St Kilda at 50. We've got Sydney at 63, 64. And West Coast just under fifty four percent. So, if I was to play manipulation of numbers here and decide to remove the supposed outliers of the dreadful records and you know, anything below forty two and a half percent, because it's good to say that most of these numbers are hovering around the you know sixties, which is quite nice. Some of them. Um, let's take away the Geelong record and the Port record. Okay, so that's seven wins and nineteen losses. So, if we were to do funny buggers, uh, so seven wins takes us to what? 106 wins and what? 67 losses. So what's 106 over this? If I can just get it up for you. 106 plus 7. So let's do that now. It's sitting at a 61 and a bit percent win loss ratio, which is pretty, pretty good. Right now, he's currently sitting at fifty six point seven eight. What's your what's, so, your what's your favorite Luke Beveridge moment? Like I say, we've we've kicked him a bit the last couple of years, and like we've we've not always been his 
We still love you, mate. We do still love you. I, I, I love, I, I, look, I mean, I've, I've been a, a bit of a critic of, of beverage in the, in the past, but I've always said I, I've loved a lot of what he has brought to the club um, over the years. He's been, well, I mean, he, he made, I think he, well, he made us all fall in love with the club again when he, when he arrived in terms of what happened at the end of 2014 and what he, he brought to us in 2015, of course, 2016 was was reasonably special. Uh, he's been one who's always been a staunch defender of his players, and, his, and that's that's something that I want to focus on too, actually, because yeah. uh, everyone could you know, mention the idea of like you know the uh, the Bob Murphy medal and the flag and da 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 da. But I think it's the fact is it's it's amazing to see a coach go into bat for his players as frequently as he does, and you know he cops it on the chin a lot more often than than other coaches. I guess that's. Some- Sometimes I mean, it's don't, to his detriment. It is to his detriment. That's, that's what that speaks a bit of volume of him, though. Yeah. That speaks a bit of volume where he sort of takes the attention away from the player, you I know, think, in that side of things. I think my favourite moment, and yeah, we all love the Bob Murphy moment, I think my favourite moment with, with offload beverage isn't near, isn't necessarily a footballing one. Um, the the convoy, the Bulldog convoy up to, to Giant Stadium for the 20th Yes, 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 yes. Uh, now, I, I wasn't part of the official convoy. I, I drove up with, with family, but a bunch of Bulldogs fans, a few hundred of them got on the buses and, and drove up. And uh, Luke Beveridge wrote each of them a, a letter and, and gave them each uh, a $10 note to buy breakfast at a, at a stopover. I thought that was a lovely gesture, to be honest. Hmm. Uh, and I think that says, I think if you if you want to get an idea on, on the type of person that, that Luke Beveridge is, I think that's it there. Like... I mean, he can be a very fiery, feisty character at times, which we've we've seen over the journey, and, and it doesn't always—it's not always a great look. But I think he cares about—I think he's—he's—he's he's, he's a real carer of people. Beverage. Uh, I think people who are part of his group and part of his clan are very important to him, and I think he's demonstrated that consistently throughout his time at the club, and I, I really like that. Story. It's not. It's not talked about nearly as much um, as some of his other triumphs and achievements along the way. Uh, but I, I really like that one. Hmm. It's there's probably still a reason, as I said, as to why, not despite what's gone on with you know this um, inability to to string together this team to getting where we would hope it to be, because the players he hasn't lost the players. That's the thing too. Hmm. He hasn't. You know, the players still are there in that side of things and the club still thinks he's there. And that's why, you know, which is still a bit interesting, but this is why they gave the two years, not the one. They still think the job can be done. Now, I mean, we've seen what happens with, um, think of it this way. If he was to, uh, if he was to be let go, um, you can bet your bottom dollar that, you know, 17 other clubs would be sanding him out in, in one way or another, whether it be for a coaching role or a football department role or something in there because he's got a lot to offer in that side of things. So on a different context, though, I would happily, I'm hoping this happens, but I would happily have Stuart Jew on board uh, with us in one in one way or another. Um, forwards coach, take it, please. Yeah. It would be perfect for him, seriously. Uh, I, no, I, I agree. I mean... 
I know he's. I mean, he hasn't been able to to get the Suns to finals, but I don't think that's necessarily, well, at least not entirely his fault. Just a couple of questions, a couple more before we wrap things up. I know you've got to get some shut eye, Nick, as do I. Uh, Jez has got a, a got a couple here. Is it simply a case of the only way Darcy plays is if they drop lob? We'll find out in the twenty four hours time, but I'm pretty sure that that is the effective answer there. Um, to be honest, and it's something that I expect to, to see happen. I think that there will be the case um, for this particular week, and hopefully, uh, hopefully Darcy can can have a good game. And another one, listening to the commentators talk about how much money English and Norton will command when they come out of contract, I can't yeah, imagine either leaving. But hypothetically, who would you pay more money to keep? That's now, I can't see either either leaving. Uh, there was someone on Twitter who said that you know, uh, Collingwood is still you know. Yeah, yeah, don't worry about yeah, it. Uh, was that was that uh, was that John from our uh, John from look, the locals' look, cousins? Look, uh, I don't, I don't think calling. we have to worry. I don't think we have to worry about Collingwood poaching players, especially as this. You know, they they need to learn how to manage their salary cap first. In terms of that, you know, they're paying a million bucks to players to play against them. So we'll see a, how that works. That is a good question. I I really like this question. If you had to keep only one, I suppose is the question. Oh. If you had to let one go and you had to keep one, Norton or English. Uh, I'm keeping Norton. I, I am as well. And and the reason for that is, and I don't know how much Carl, as great as English is, and there's no doubt he's a great player, if you go back and look at the Premiership I know, series, I know century, you, yep, there you go, yeah. only a select few have an elite ruck. Most of them, all of them have a solid ruck, but not many of them have an all-Australian ruck. Like Geelong, who's that doesn't mean you can't win with last them. Year? Was, it, was, it, was it Stanley? Chris Stanley. Yeah, Reece Stanley. I mean, Melbourne is a bit of an outlier with with Max Gorn. Richmond had Nate Curvis, who's a pretty good ruckman. good ruckman, but you know, not not an Australian ruckman. We no, he's not Jordan, a tap ruckman, but we had Jordan Ruffhead. Uh, West Coast had Nathan Vardy in the in the ruck in twenty eighteen. Uh, Hawthorne had David Hale for a bit. Uh, they did have Scott Lyset as well. Ly- oh yeah, they did too. Sorry, um, Collingwood had Darren Jolly. Who Geelong Very good have ruckman. in? Good ruckman, but again, not we're not talking an all Australian ruckman. West Coast had Dean Cox, that was probably a, that's an outlier as well. Who did Geelong have in that, that year? Brad Ottens, Brad Ottens and Stephen King, and then Mark Blake for two thousand and nine. Yeah, and they had Hawthorne. Trent West in twenty eleven. There you go, and then Hawthorne had Hawthorne, Robert Campbell, Max Bailey as well, yeah. and twenty thirteen. So this is, this is a bit of a theme there. They're all sort of all right, but you know, it's it's not often that you've got the best ruck in the competition playing that Premiership side. Whereas generally. Most premiership sides have a very, very good spine, whether it's a centre-half forward or, or a centre-half back, um, depending on, on what side of the what side of the ledger you want to play with Norton. Uh, yeah, that's why I'd go with that. But I'm guessing that's your thinking as well? Pretty much, pretty much um, identical to what I would have said there, Matt, to be honest. Uh, that's not to say we don't want Timmy. We all love Timmy and we want to see him and uh, Aaron destroy opposition teams for the next, you know, half of the next decade or however long they uh, extend their contracts for, um, which I'm pretty sure will be the case. I think they're just waiting for the new CBA to sort itself out. I don't think that there's any ideas that they're going to be leaving because the money that would be offered to them to stay, because I think even Beveridge mentioned it too, yeah, they're going to have to, um, we'll do what we can. We'll do what we need to do. Well, I think it was reported last week that they could both be on seven figures, which sounds like a lot, but we're factoring in that CBA as well. Yeah, and like if other clubs want to go nuts on it, well then, <laughs> cough up. But uh, 
They could well do. Well, on that note, I think that's that's just about going to be it for another episode of the, the Salty Bull. Good, good to get a few, air a few grievances, get a few things off the chest with terms of patterns and themes and, and struggles from last week. But you know, it was, it was nice to be able to talk positively about a few different things. And, and best of luck to, to Luke as well, of course, with his two hundredth game coaching the club. By far the most successful coach that that the dogs have ever had. And like I say, I've, you know, I've not always been his biggest fan, but. I, I know I know I know a successful coach when I see one, um, and certainly given given our history, we haven't had too many of them. But he's certainly one of the few, and hopefully he can double his premiership tally with us. This year would be nice. Um, look, if he does it next year or the, or the year after, I suppose we can we can be we can exercise a little patience on that one. But there is a lot that he's he's done for this football club, which has been exceptional over the journey, and I hope he gets to. And it's I think it's quite fitting actually that the two hundredth game is against the Swans. Up there, because that's sort of where Bevo's Bulldogs were born, wasn't it? That game in yes, that that oh, that was incredible, actually. Good. Yeah, that was a fun match. Hopefully that was we... terrifying, but it was a fun game. <laughs> it wasn't. It? Hopefully, we get a, Hopefully, we get another win, and uh, and at least hang on to that spot inside the top eight. And you know, who knows? Top four still as long as top four is mathematically on the cards. We're allowed to dream, aren't we? Yes, we are. <laughs> Nick, be all right, you know. Nicolia, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast again. Thank you for joining us. Not to worry, Matt. Good morning to you. And uh, technically, I'll say good night as well at the same time. <laughs> uh, hello and goodbye to everyone. Um, thanks for tuning in. It's it's always a pleasure, I tell you, Matt, to, to be joined by yourself or to be um, discussing the, the Bulldogs with yourself, that is. And the feeling is mutual, Nick. Of course, the Salty Bulldog podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. And there's our social media channels as well, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, the website, the YouTube channel. Special thank you as well to, to Swoop Luke, uh, who didn't who jumped on uh, just with me for a bit of an opposition analysis episode last week. It was very good of him to, to come on for a bit, so thank you to him for that. To all of our listeners, wherever you've been tuning in around the world, and I really mean it this time. I know I said that last week, but I mean it again. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to having you tune in again next week. But until then, take care. <laughs>